Recently, I watched a funny video on YouTube that was in German, but you didn't need to know German in order to get the point. A young woman had bought her father an iPad uh, for his birthday, and she goes up to ask him, Dad, how is it going? Do you like the new iPad? And he says, oh, it's great. And then she sees her father use the iPad as a cutting board for vegetables. (laughs) She's horrified as he takes the cutting board to the sink, which is iPad, and puts it cleans it off, then puts it in the dishwasher. (laughs) It's no laughing matter when you see something costly, not being used to fulfill its intended purpose, or worse, used for something contrary to that. Uh, Another example, someone not using the tools as it was intended, uh, we have the teens over at our house on Thursday nights, and we have a blast having them over Sometimes they can be a a bit destructive, but it's okay. So those times I like to get back at them with funny little pranks. So I won't say their names because it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, We had two of our teens. We have a cat toy with a ball that spins around in a circle. Well, I told their teens that this is to test their reflexes. So spin the ball and then hit on it and get it to stop. So they would go go through back and forth, and then we, would, we had a video of them, and we showed them our cat also doing it. <laughs> uh, grad night, I'll show it to them. It'll be in a couple of years for them, though. But <laughs> it's sad at times when we use tools, we don't use it for what its intended purpose is. When we come to this passage in John chapter 15, what Jesus is wanting the disciples to do is live up to their full potential. You see, we get caught up too many times in the trivial and the temporal instead of the crucial and eternal. And like Jesus' disciples, we needed to be reminded that since we are united to God, it changes everything in our life. Our union with him gives us our vision and our mission for life. And that is what I want to talk to us all about today is that Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches. And since we are connected to him, it should change everything in our life. In this passage in John 15, this is the middle of the upper room discourse that Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his death, burial, and ascension to heaven. And they, obviously, during this time, are timid and scared because the one that they have been traveling with, the one that has performed miracles before them, the one has been their guide and their counselor, their shepherd, is about to depart, and they didn't know what would life look like without Jesus. How are they going to carry on the mission of God without him? What would it look like? And what Jesus wants to reassure them of that is, since they are connected to him, they can carry on his mission. That's why he says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. 
When the passage is talking about a vine, it says that Jesus is a true vine. So it means that there must be a false vine. The disciples and the Old Testament audience, as they're hearing Jesus say this, would have immediately known that Israel throughout the Old Testament is referred to as the vine. In Isaiah 5, a story is told about a vineyard planted with compassion and care. It's like how my wife, sadly, I don't go out as much as I should, meticulously tends to the garden, picking the weeds, watering the plants to make it perfect. You see, the passage is saying that God planted this vineyard. And it's identified that Israel wasn't producing fruit, but rather an edible fruit. Isaiah 5, 7 says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Uh, The Bible also says in Jeremiah 2.21, God says, I planted you as a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? You see, in the failure of Israel, Jesus is saying that I am the true vine and those that are attached to me will be fruitful, will be able to continue on when I depart. Christ is the vine and we are the branches and it should change everything. Let me explain this to you again. If I have an apple tree in my backyard and it is not bearing fruit, I'm going to cut it down. I have a propane tank, so I'll probably burn it down, but it's not useful. But what Christ is saying is, hey, I, I am this tree. You are connected to me. You will produce fruit because you're connected to me. And this truth is very important for us to grasp in every way of life that we are united with Christ and it changes everything. I want you to turn to two passages that explain this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. I want to explain to you our union with Christ because it changes everything in our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The Bible says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought, purchased with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's saying, it's saying right here, since we are united to God, since we are purchased by God, since we are not our own, but we are bought with a price, it changes everything. Our identity changes because of Christ who has purchased us. One last passage, and we'll turn back to our John 15. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Bible says this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
The Bible says that we have been crucified with Christ. We have died to the power of sin when Christ died. It is no longer we that live, but Christ lives in us. And this changes everything in our life because Christ is our life. So turn back with me to John 15. So when the Bible says that that God is the vine and we are the branches, we're supposed to produce fruit. It's because of our connection with him, because we are united to him. Our connection to Jesus changes everything in our life. We are to bear fruit because of what God has done for us. And I want you to look at me three different ways we're supposed to bear fruit. The first one is we will bear fruit of obedient love because of what Christ has done. Verse 9 and 10 of John 15. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus was obedient in his life. He was obedient to be arrested. He was obedient when he knew and he had trepidation when he knew that he would soon face the cross. He willingly went and suffered on our behalf. By his obedience, we are united with him and we can obey because Christ obeys and Christ lives in us. The problem for way too many Christians, though, is that we have a mindset that obedience is impossible and we can't do it on our own, which is true. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But because Christ lives in us, it changes everything. In Philippians 4.13, when the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about that I can endure suffering because Christ lives in me. Now, what about our obedient love? What does it look like? God loves Jesus, and in turn, Jesus loves us with the same type of love. In response to his love, we are to be obedient. But obedience, they are tough words. So how does, what does this look like in our lives? We think of the first commandment in the Bible, you shall have no other gods before me. How are we doing at this commandment? In his first commentary, John Calvin says we owe four things to God. Our adoration, our trust, our petition, and our thanksgiving. In adoration, we worship Christ. In trust, we treasure Christ. In petition, we look to Christ. And in thanksgiving, we find grace in him. So what is that looking like in our lives? Whom do we praise the most? You see, I can get excited when I'm watching soccer. Uh, when I'm watching my soccer team and they are winning, I can shout out. I get crazy. Um, when I'm watching the game, it's like Amanda's like, why is the house shaking? I was like, I'm just getting excited, like getting to watch the U.S. women's national team score 13 goals. It's exciting. But who gets my highest praise in life? Who gets my highest joy? Who gets my shouts of acclamation? Is it when my kids do something and achieve and they maybe get a trophy? I'm patting myself at the back. Oh, look at me. I'm their father. I mean, they got my genes. Is that what it is? Is it possibly that it's my work accomplishments? No. My highest praise should be for Christ. 
My highest praise should be for what Christ is doing in my life. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. Praise in our lives. We should get most excited about God's kingdom and his work being done. That's what should excite us. That's what should give us joy. Next question he asks is, who do we trust? Who do you rely upon in times of need? Is it friends? Is it family members? Who do you turn to when things are wrong? Is your first instance to turn to, okay, I don't know what's going on. Let me turn to a family member and figure out, are you going on your knees and asking God, I trust you. Who has your heart? Who controls it? Next thing he asks is, whom do we make requests to primarily? Who are we petitioning? Who are we crying out for? Is it Christ? And lastly, whom do we give our thanksgiving to? Who do you turn to for your purpose in life? In our Sunday school video, David Platt talks about our sense of security, our sense of wholeness and everything in us that we turn to the world and what it has to offer. Maybe it's a career, maybe it's some financial success, but who gets all your thanksgiving? Who gets all your praise? You see, if we say we love God, we will want to obey his commandments. We will want to follow him. We want to live for him. It would be crazy if I said I loved my soccer coach in college, but we go in the game and he says, Lawrence, do this. I'm like, ah, I love you, but I don't really agree with what you're saying. I can't say I really love him if I'm not willing to obey. In our lives is the fruit of obedience showing. In our lives is the fruit of overwhelming joy showing. Verse 11 These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In John 14, 27, Jesus promised his disciples, my peace. In verse 10 of our passage, he promises disciples his love. Now he's promising his disciples his joy. Jesus is insisting that in our obedience to the Father, it's a ground for joy in our life. And we have to understand this, that joy cannot be found in our possessions because they don't last. Joy can't be found in our kids because one day they're going to disappoint us. Joy can't be found in anything of this world. In John 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, she is someone that has looked for love in all the wrong places. Multiple men have been in her life. And she's at the well at the hottest part of the day because she does not want to be seen by anyone. She has no joy in her life. But Jesus says to her, come to me and I will give you living water. Why? Because with God, you can have overwhelming joy. It will overflow in your life. His resources are immeasurable. His joy gauge never reaches empty. With Christ, we can find joy in our life. I think of my former pastor, Pastor Wendell, how he had joy in the midst of 
unbelievable trials. He planted a church when he was 25 years old, and he had two boys at the time. Uh, One was five years old, and I believe the other one was one years old. His wife went for a routine dentist appointment, and the doctor says that they found cancer in his wife's mouth. And they tried to do surgery on the cancer, but they didn't give her much time to live at all. She ends up passing a year later, and he was about my age when he was at this church uh, plant that he had started. Uh, His wife was a piano player. The church was growing, about to build a building, and then this trial, immeasurable trial, happens. The crazy thing about Pastor Wendell, I say this is all of God, is his response was with unbelievable graciousness. He was broken, but he still to this day is filled with joy. He took some time off, but he came back and he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How do you get this type of joy in your life? Well, it's realizing that your joy cannot be found in your circumstances. Your joy can only be found in Jesus Christ, who is the constant, stable one in your life. You can't find joy in the temporal or circumstantial. Do you have this type of joy in your life, or is your life miserable? And I'm not saying you're going to be when bad things, times happen, that you're just going to be shouting out but in happiness. But I'm saying that you can make it through because of what Christ is doing in your life. And how do we get to this? Again, remember, Jesus says he is the vine, we are the branches, we are connected with him. We can't do this on our own. Apart him, we can do nothing. But since we are connected to him, he gives us his joy. He gives us his love. He gives us his peace. Last thing I want to talk to you about is sacrificial love. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. How has Christ loved you? I think about this earlier in John chapter 10, another I am statement that God has. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd willingly lays his life down for the sheep. Here's what we need to understand about Jesus' sacrificial love. We didn't deserve it. Jesus says that we are sheep, and we're taken back to the agrarian life where sheep were typically owned And they were attended to not by an owner, but there was a hired worker. So what happens is we see in verse 12 of uh, that passage in John 10 that a wolf is coming to attack the sheep. And so what's going to happen is, is the good shepherd going to willingly lay his life down for the sheep, sacrifice his life for them, or is the shepherd going to run away? And what we see is the good shepherd gives his life for them. But I need you to understand how we are like sheep. If you can imagine this shepherd who's taking care of sheep, he is one sheep who he's been entrusted to who is stubborn, okay? Sheep, dumb sheep, doesn't pay attention, denies his way. Jesus willingly gives his life for him. 
There's another sheep that's We'll call her name George. She's a diva of the group, does her own things, doesn't want to really follow what the shepherd says for her, walks aimlessly. Jesus willingly gave him his life for them. Do we see ourselves as sheep? That so many times God has given us clear commandments and we don't follow them. When bad times happen in our lives, we don't want to live for God. Or we say, God, how could you forsake me? God, how could you do this to me? And in all of this, Jesus says, I willingly lay my life down for you. That is amazing. The good shepherd willingly gives his life for us. And our response is to have a sacrificial love like that. And I got to experience this in 2009 when I got to travel to my home country, or where all my family from is from Ghana, Africa. I got to fly to Accra, the capital city, and we got to go to a medical hospital. And I want to talk to you about a guy named Dr. George Fail. He was a guy that was, he's basically a jungle doctor in the northern part of Ghana. And as we get there, I'm flying to see what this man does. We get there and we have to take like a small airplane up to a city called Tamale. And the airplane, I thought we were going to die, okay? I mean, the rudders, I saw the smoke. I'm like, oh my word, this guy does this all the time. We get up there, and then it's like a four or five hour drive from the city of Tamale, which is all Muslim city. No Christians. You hear the uh, call of worship all the time there. And then we drive on roads, literally back-breaking roads. We had to get out of the truck a couple times and walk over, and wow, I got sick. It's crazy. So this guy does this. He goes, and we go to this medical hospital, and it's amazing to me to see the sacrificial love. You go there, they do not have much of medical supplies. The people have extreme needs, medical issues, and this man has taken his wife and kids and his family and is serving here. He sacrificed. He's a medical doctor. He can make a ton of money living in the States, doing his practice. He can have air conditioned there because there was none there. So I, that was the first time in my life I, I couldn't sleep at all. I was just in puddles of sweat. I thought I was going to dehydrate sleep. I was just like, oh, it's so hot. He does all this sacrifice, though, for sometimes people who spit in his face, people who don't care about him at all. But he willingly, Dr. Phil, willingly gives his life for them because of what Christ has done for him. Brothers and sisters, do we have sacrificial love in our lives? How do we respond to what Christ has done in our lives? We have opportunities here at Faith to make some sacrifices. We have opportunities to serve at VBS, to sacrifice our time. Yes, we are going to be tired, but what Christ has done, this pales in comparison. And it's not, oh, I have to serve. I get to serve. I get to give back to my Savior because of what he's done for me. What about when it comes to finances? We have been blessed with so much material possessions. When it comes to missions, are we willingly to give all of ourselves financially, time, our talents to the mission of God? 
You see, we are connected to Christ. Christ is our life. Does it reflect? Are we bearing the fruit of obedience? Are we bearing the fruit of overwhelming joy? And are we sacrificially loving others? Is this present in our life? Because Christ is our life. This is not something that we can do on our own. This is only something that he does in us. I want to finish with verse 2. He says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. You see, sometimes God's going to put us in situations to change our hearts. It says that branches that bear fruit, he prunes back. He puts trials and difficulties in our lives so we'd look more like him. You see, God wants us to represent him so that all the world can know that Jesus reigns. In our lives, do we reflect who we are connected to? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this Sunday that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrificial love, for demonstrating your obedience to go to the cross and bear the penalty that we deserve. Thank you that our joy is your joy. I ask you right now that you would be with our congregation. Help us to abide in you, to remain in you, to trust you in all that we do because you are worthy of it all. We are grateful for this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen.